welcome to Motopod, the internet radio show all about motorcycle road racing. This is episode number 701. I am Jim McDowell, your host. My co-host is Richard Jowett in the UK. Richard, how are you doing tonight? I'm very well indeed. Thank you, Jim. Yes, just back from Silverstone. Lucky uh, devil. We're going to enjoy talking about Funny weekend, but we'll get to that in due course. Yes, we will. So first of all, I want to thank the donations that have come in. Let's thank Nick Saban. I also want to thank Jeremy Woodward for his special donation to the show uh, and his uh, nice words he had to say about reaching 700 episodes. So appreciate that very much. Also, could not do this without our friends at Patreon as well. If you would like to help the show, you can do so by going to your favorite podcast platform, finding the show and leaving a review. You can also help out by donating to the show. You can do that by going to our website, www.motopod.com cast.com you can be on the right hand side and you can donate through patreon or paypal either way for as little as two dollars us with that the housekeeping is kind of over let's just get into the news right off the top now yeah so moto gp we we said the hell davizioso had retired or will retire at the end of the season so he's actually going to stop after the Mazzano round so he's going to do that round in in italy and then he will not do the remaining flyaway races. Those will be done by Cal Crutchlow subbing in for him to the end. So that kind of clears up what Dovey was going to do. So I think Dovey's just kind of be in Italy, have that big hello kind of thing, goodbye, and we'll be done. Yeah. Big farewell. And that's right. And uh, we will go from there. It's a bit of a... I don't know. What do you think about that, Jim? I mean, I'm, I was a little bit surprised. I mean, I don't think we were surprised to hear that he was going to retire at the end of the season. I think that was pretty obvious that that was going to happen. But to bow out, I mean, I understand the logistics of it being, you know, his final race in Italy. I suppose there's a certain symmetry to that as an Italian. But gee, I, I don't know. I just thought that was a little bit funny to not see the, the last few rounds out. I mean, they're mostly flyaways, so I can understand perhaps why he doesn't want to do a lot of travelling. But yeah, a little bit of a sad end to a pretty good career, really, at the top flight. Yeah. I don't know. I think whenever you want to call time on your career, it's your choice. Um, I think you're allowed to go out the way you want to go out. And if that's the way he wanted to go out, then I'm not going to sit there and criticize and say that that's not what you can or cannot do. I understand. I don't think I'd want to do the long haul flights. I, I've never really been on a really long haul flight. I have been to Europe. And I know that the flight back home for us is like nine hours to get home roughly. And that, that stinks and it sucks. And I can't imagine jumping all the time zones like those guys would do. Um, you know, it's hard enough for me to get back into my own time zone when I come back. So I, I have nothing to say about it. I mean, be, do, be your man, do your thing. You've had a great career. You, you can walk out however you choose to walk out. Yeah. I mean, I think it probably says as much about what a, wretched year he's had really on that bike and he just wants to finish as soon as possible so you know this is just a shame really because he's had a really great career Dovi. i mean 250 champion some years ago and was pretty effective on a motor gp bike for most of his time in the in the series it's just gone a little bit wrong in the last year hasn't it yep three times uh bridesmaids he won mark marquez yeah, he, yeah. You, you could easily say if marquez wasn't in the class Dovi was champion Mm. But, you know, that yeah. ifs and buts, candy and nuts, I'll have a merry, very, very merry Christmas, right? There, there it goes. Um, but I think what we'll miss is Dovi, the one thing you could always say about him is he is one of the most insightful communicators 
as to the art of riding a MotoGP bike, and that will be something that we will miss hearing for sure. I agree. I agree with that. Uh, second bit of news. Pull Spargo to Tech 3. Thoughts? That's the hot rumor. Yeah. I, I, is it not official then? I, I thought that no, was pretty much no, understood it's, it's, to be the case. It's, not it's understood, but it has not been. There's there's not an official. Yeah, okay. I'm going there, but there's a direct line between the two. Yeah. Um, I don't know what he thinks he's going to find there. I mean, he couldn't find it. I mean, he couldn't find anything on the Honda. It was arguably two just two terrible seasons for him. Yeah, um, with Honda definitely be, missing the boat on the bike. Yeah, it would be great to. And I don't know if we'll ever get the chance to do this, but it would be great to ask him, wouldn't it? Does he consider these last two years to be a you know a, a terrible mistake from his point of view? I mean, you can understand why he went to HRC because it's was one of the great teams. I mean, it's certainly not that at the moment, but obviously Jack Miller going to the the works KTM squad kind of scuppered the idea that he would go back there from whence he came to, uh, to HRC. So I think Tech 3 really is his only realistic option, isn't it, Jim, to be honest? So I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. I think I read somewhere that Pit Barra has, has said that they will be announcing the Tech 3 KTM lineup at the Red Bull Ring in a week and a half from now. So I think Paul is a pretty definite shoe in there. I think the interesting question is, will Remy Gardner stay put on the other side of the garage? Because I'm pretty convinced Raul Fernandez is not going to be there next year. Fernandez is gone. Remy stays. Yeah, for me, that's what's happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Last bit of MotoGP news. It said that uh, Mark Marquez will visit the paddock in Austria. So be the first time he's been back in the paddock since Mugello when he left to get his arm operated on. He says everything's going well. He says everything's healing. Um, He's went for a wellness check or will go for another wellness check here at the end of August. And he's doing like cardio, preparing to the preparing himself so that at the end of August, if that uh, checkup goes okay, they can start building muscle back in the arms. So that's kind of positive there. Um, you know, I do think, and David Emmett tweeted this. So this is this. I thought this, but you know, David Emmett as well is thinking it. So so props to David Emmett for this. That uh, you know, Marquez knows that this is the last chance to get this one right. So there's going to be a long talk with a lot of doctors. And we are going to make 100% sure that we can get back on a motorcycle and we can race without yeah. doing any more damage to a four times operated arm. Well, that rather relies on him not chucking himself at the scenery, doesn't it? But she has a nasty habit of doing. But I really? keep hearing the rumor that, yeah. yeah. Well, see, I thought can it you, had to do can more. Can you remember? I thought it had more to do with like opening windows in his palatial estate. Well, <laughs> Yes, the, the household accident hopefully is not going to revisit the Mark Marquez fold. But I keep hearing the rumor that he's likely to be on the bike in Valencia at the the single day test at the Ooh. end of the season. I know you. I know you're not keen on the idea, Jim. But I'm, I'm not. I am not. I. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, given really. where I mean, we will come to this obviously in terms of the dire situation that Honda find themselves in in MotoGP at the moment. But really. If Marquez is anywhere close to being fit, I think they need him on that bike just for one day's evaluation, even if he's just taking it easy because they're in a world of trouble at the minute. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that they need some direction. Um, letting go did, letting go of Cal Crutchlow as a test rider was a big, big 
not good thing to do. That was yeah. a big error, right? Because really look, yeah. look at yeah. what Crutchlow has done for Yamaha. Granted, granted that only Quattro can ride the Yamaha to the level that it needs to be ridden at to be competitive, but things kind of have turned around some when Crutchlow showed up and they were able to sort of I will I will say methodically work work around their lack of rear grip that they seem to have had and mm -hmm. now seem to have found rear grip, which is all that Quattro needed was to find some grip, and then he'll take care of the rest. So yeah. Yeah, I think Honda's in a desperate point. However, I do think that they will get themselves out of it. And, and I'm not so sure that they need Marquez there to actually do it, but uh couldn't hurt. But I, I just don't want him to injure himself because somehow you got to think he's going to switch his brain off and just go for it. And I don't want to see him chuck it on, chuck a high side in there and do something to his arm or shoulder. Cause then I think that would be it to be honest. Oh, damage the eye again. Oh yeah. Which, whatever. Which is the other risk. Isn't oh it? yeah. Completely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I remain of the opinion and I don't know, obviously contractually, there may be reasons why this can't possibly happen, but I think, given that he's an HRC contracted rider, I really don't understand why they're not bringing Le Corona back across from World Superbike, because he's not going to win the World Superbike Championship. And he's got recent pedigree on a bike that's quite similar in the KTM to the Honda in many respects, or so, we, so we're led to believe, at least. And, you know, as we're going to talk about in a minute, he's just uh, done himself an awful lot of favours with the HRC top brass. So, yeah, they, it seems to me that they're just missing a trick in not bringing him in to try and help solve this problem. Yeah, but we'll get to that. Well, let's go to it now. It's a great segue. Yeah. yeah. Um, first, we're gonna basically we're gonna talk about Suzuki Eight Hours. Some some news that came out of that. I, I don't want to call this sad news, but I want to call it disturbing news. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think that's a fair way to put this. But uh, yes. in in practice, Gino Ray uh, crashed in practice for the for the Suzuki Eight Hour. He was transported to the infield medical center. He was evaluated and then medevaced out to the hospital. Then the, everything went quiet after that, which was a bit scary because uh, yeah. we've seen that kind of play out with Jajiro Kato. And we know how that one went. And, and, you know, to be sure, this is what has been released by his family about his condition. It says that he was admitted to intensive care unit on Saturday, August the 6th, following an accident in free practice two, he was concussed and sustained serious head injuries. He also has injuries to his left clavicle. He is under sedation to reduce the swelling on his brain and to control his temperature. He's due for another CAT scan on Wednesday for a reevaluation of his condition. That does not sound good. No. No. Uh, I mean, it sounds better than perhaps the initial reports when the incident had happened. And disturbingly, given that this is Suzuka that we're talking about, obviously, I haven't seen it on TV. I don't even know if there's any footage of it. Certainly nothing that's likely to be released. Um, and I'm, I'm quite rightly so. But from what I understand, the crash was quite similar and in the same place that uh, Kato had his accident back in 2003. Four. So that's... For okay, well, when it, yeah. sorry, that one just sticks in my mind because that because it's just stuck there. Sorry, yeah, so uh, you know, concerning crash because that's obviously very high speed coming out of the uh, what do they call it, the 180R, is it or the one 130R, 130R, thank you, Jim. Um, and then it, as you say, it went very, very quiet, other than to say it was a you know, a very severe accident and critical injuries and so on. And then you're kind of thinking, oh golly, what's the next press release that's going to come out? 
So I guess we just have to sit tight. I mean, Gina Ray is a very, very fit young guy. And uh, so that's in his favour. He's quite still quite young. He's been around a long time, but he's, he's a young guy. He's very, very, very fit. Anybody that follows him on social media will know that he's a very active, uh, dedicated uh, person in terms of keeping fit around the sport that he does. So that will be in his favour, but I guess we shouldn't really try and second guess too much. But anybody that's, you know, being long term sedated for critical head injuries, that's obviously going to be a, a big concern, really. But we just have to keep our fingers crossed, I suppose. Yep. So all of our thoughts and prayers are with Gino and his family at this time. Yeah. So just when you think Honda can't build a motorcycle. <laughs> right. Because, I mean, we sort of been watching him struggle and it struggle. Uh, that's putting it mildly in MotoGP. They romp off to a win on their home track in the eight hour with their rookies, Tetsuda Nakashima, Iker Lekawona, and, and the experienced uh, Tagumi Takahashi. So they, yep. win the, they win over a very good Kawasaki team. In fact, uh, the Honda guys never put a wheel wrong the entire time. And it was Johnny Ray who cracked because he couldn't handle the pace that they were that they were running on standing right. and Johnny did crash the bike, which kind of then let those uh, Honda guys kind of run off and win. So obviously a Honda knows what to do with a motorcycle around their own racetrack, but it has been quite some time as if I recall, since Honda has stood atop the podium of, uh, of the eight hour, it has been what Kawasaki dominated for the last couple of years. And before that, Yamaha took a couple I of things. Yamaha it. and Kawasaki have shared the spoils between them for quite some time. Haven't they? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I must admit the city carry hours is not a race that I particularly follow. I mean, uh, in terms of watching it, that I mean to say, um, but yeah, I, I mean, we touch on this from time to time, don't we? In terms of the fact that the Japanese chuck everything above, all else at the Suzuka eight hour. So curious. And, and obviously you can't compare an eight hour endurance race to a world superbike race or certainly not a prototype MotoGP championship, but yeah, curious that they can win that race. Okay. I didn't realize that Kawasaki had had some trouble. I don't know how close it would have been, say if, if the Kawasaki hadn't crashed at a certain point during the race, but yeah, I mean, it's a great result for the three riders involved and at least a little rev uh, sunshine. In the land of the rising sun for Honda. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, there's no way to compare the rules of a world endurance bike to BSB or world Superbike in no. that respect. But obviously, you know, the point of it is that obviously Honda knows how to make a bike go fast and hopefully they will have learned something or as you have rightly stated, put like a on the RCV and do some testing with him uh, and give him a, you know, a wild card or something to get at least some data onto that bike to push it into the right direction. Yeah, I mean, no offence to Stefan Bradle. I mean, he's a great, great rider in his own right, and he's clearly a very good test rider, but I think they just need somebody that's a bit a bit more racy, really, to really go and push the bike to the absolute limits. I mean, Paul Spargo is on second-hand equipment, from what I can gather, pretty much, uh, because he's on his way out of the door. He's not getting the, the new kit, so he's kind of tooling around at the back and just waiting for this nightmare to end, I would imagine. And same goes for Alex Marquez for that matter. And Nakagami, well, I mean, who knows really what quite what's going on with him in terms of where he's going to be next year. He was on a new chassis at Silverstone this weekend. He started off quite positive on Friday, but by the end of the weekend was all at sea and didn't know which direction to go. So, yeah, I, I just think they need some new blood in there to try and make some 
evaluation, good or bad, before the season's out. Agreed. So there's BSB news, Rich, if you'd like to talk through that. Yes, just a couple of rider movements and one very surprising and I suppose in its way quite exciting one. So a um, little bit of a rider shuffle. So Dan Linfoot, who will be a name reasonably familiar uh, to people that follow BSB for over the years, he's been in the championship for a good 10 years or more probably. He was racing at PR, racing iForce BMW. He has parted ways with the team. I don't know precisely why, but they haven't had a particularly happy alliance this year. His place has been filled by Luke Mossy, who himself has just parted company with the tag uh, Honda outfit. So Mossy goes in to replace uh, Dan Linford on the BMW and coming in to replace Luke Mossy in the game of musical chairs at uh, Tag Racing is none other than Tito Rabat of um, most notably Moto2 fame, I would argue, but had a couple of seasons in MotoGP, which he didn't do terribly well in, then switched over to World Superbikes for a season and had a pretty torrid time there. I think that was last season, if memory serves. And so <laughs> he's going to be one of these what could we call them, I suppose, sort of uh, motorcycle racing refugees that comes across to one of the slightly more out there series like Moto America or certainly BSB to try his hand there. So he's going to be racing at Thruxton in BSB this weekend. That'll be a challenge because Thruxton is a very, very fast track and is very hair-raising out on the backside of the track. I mean, if he can get on well at Thruxton, he'll do well. And he then has Cadwell Park next on the agenda, which is about as different to Thruxton as you could possibly imagine in terms of it's a very narrow track and it has a big jump uh, two thirds of the way around it as well. So, yeah, it's going to be a bit of a baptism of fire for Tito Rabat. But, you know, fair play to him for giving it a go. I hope he does all right. Yeah, I hope so too. The last bit of news is just a little Moto America for everybody. Uh, we got a championship going on here in yeah. Superbikes and Moto America, to be honest. Uh, if you remember, oh yeah, <laughs> as you remember, uh, Gagne went into Brainerd with a three-point lead over Petrucci. Uh, so we hit Brainerd, which is a about two and a half miles ultra-fast track up in the northern part of Minnesota. Very bumpy too because of the harsh winters. Uh, so difficult to get a setup on the bike. Uh, Petrucci had a fast crash in qualifying there, uh, but you know, mounted up for the race that later on that afternoon he. Uh, uh, Gagne, I should say, won the first race of the weekend uh, and kind of stretched his points lead that little bit, Patricia, I think, I believe was second. But in this race number two, Gagne, who had a lead that probably Petrucci couldn't have dealt with, crashed, DNF'd again now for the uh, third time yeah. this year. Yeah. And, of course, Petrucci then won, which means that Petrucci now has a 12-point lead heading into the championship in Pittsburgh, not this weekend, but next weekend. It's uh, the 19th, 20th, and 21st of August. Okay. This weekend and Pittsburgh is a Weira eight-hour national event. So Weira is, those of you who don't know, Weira is the Western Eastern Road Racers Association here in the United States. They have a national championship, if you will, kind of, hmm, I want to be fair here, but I'll call it elite club racing national, mm -hmm. if you will. Fair enough. Definitely a step below Moto America, but not talentless, if you will. No. So they are running. They are running an eight-hour endurance race at Pittsburgh, and Petrucci is going to ride that to get a little track knowledge. 
or quite a lot of track knowledge probably or a lot quite a lot however you want to however you want to look at it um so but since this is the last show that we will have out before the round in pittsburgh in moto america i just want to remind everybody i will be in pittsburgh uh to watch the event there my my first time at a moto america race so i'm looking forward to that anybody who wants to meet up uh chat whatever at the track um let me know on either instagram and twitter at moto rgv or you can email the show uh motopod at motopodcast.com because i'll be trying to check that uh as much as i possibly can so hope to see you there yeah cool with that that concludes the news unless you want to talk about something else i've just thought of another piece of news jim okay please jake, do jake jake garnier is coming to world superbike at the end of the season Ooh, he's going to that's be doing right. a, uh and he's coming with his team yes i i completely forgot about that really important so you should talk about that because that's you know that's that's a big news item that yep so so gandhi is going to wild card at port of Maya, which is the last round of the world superbike series i is it or is it philip island might be the last but anyway it, it's I, one I of the last couple of rounds it, anyway yes yeah maybe it's the last european round maybe i i'm not up on my world superbike schedule but Gagne yeah. is going to wild card and it's not just he's going to go over there and be put on some yamaha he's they're taking his bikes from his attack team and yeah. going over there so his whole crew everybody's going over there um to do this so i'm not sure who's really the money thing is what i'm wondering about like who, who's putting up the money to get that bike to spec uh who's you know and everything else that's associated i, I don't know if like Rain Rennie and the boys are pushing a little money that way or whatever. That's one of the things I'm going to try to hook up with Greg White at Pittsburgh. And I want to talk about that and say, you know, how this come about, where did it go? And, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. That'd be so, really interesting to know. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I want to try to get the inside scoop and all that. I'm excited for it. I'd like to see him go over. Um, I think he's got a better chance to do good if he's on bikes that he's familiar with. The Pirelli tires are definitely going to be the wild card in that. I'm not too sure. I'm, I'm almost positive they're going to have to have a test somewhere on Pirelli's to try to get that bike dialed in because I can tell for you from firsthand experience, you move from a Dunlap to a Pirelli, it is a drastic change in your setup of your motorcycle to yeah. figure out how to make a Pirelli work. So good on him. Very good to hear that at least somebody from Moto America is going over for at least a wild card. Um, you know, so I guess they couldn't get it together to do any of the, uh, because there isn't a world superbike round in America. So I guess there's no other choice than but to go to Europe. I was, yeah. no, I was still thinking they were still running world supers at Laguna, but that's not true. <laughs> fresh, fresh and lean attack Yamaha are going to yeah. hit the Algarve. Yeah, yeah. that's going to so. be cool to see. And if you do manage to hook up with Greg, I listened to his um, the garage pod uh, mm -hmm. whilst I was driving up to Silverstone on Friday. And Greg uh, knows he wasn't going to say because, you know, for confidentiality reasons until it's more public, but he knows. The whereabouts of uh, Garrett Gerloff next year. Oh, and I think, and I think the suspicion is he's not going to be on a Yamaha next year. I think there's mm. some some semblance of a rumor and some credence to the rumor that he might be riding on one of the BMW teams next year. Fair possibly, play. possibly taken over from Eugene Laverty, who's just announced his retirement from active World Superbike duty. He's taking a financial interest in the BMW team that he's been riding for this year, so he will take on a a kind of a management and guru role within that team. So there's a slot available there. Um, and I think there's a reasonable amount of sensible money on the fact that Gerloff might land there. So, and, and by the sounds of it, a reasonably high chance that uh, Jake Gagne himself might end up in World Superbikes next year for another crack at it. Because he didn't really have, 
I don't think a fair crack of the whip when yeah. he was with Nicky Hayden on the Honda team a few years ago because that project just wasn't in the right place at that time. And he's clearly a, a very high level rider, Jake Gagnon. I would personally love to see him uh, in World Superbike on a good team, good bike, a package that he knows, possibly bringing some of his crew with him, as you say, Jim, so that he can have a proper crack at it. I think that would be fascinating to see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That wraps up the news. Yeah, so we were racing at Silverstone over the over the weekend. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, a question for you, Rich, to start this off. Yeah, I've never seen Silverstone that brown. Like the grass was the color of the gravel. Like you couldn't decipher where the gravel trap stopped and yeah. where and where the grass was. What what was up with that? You guys just in some sort of massive heat wave drought thing going on? Over we there? are. Yeah, I mean we are hitting hose pipe bands here all the water companies are mm. although they're leaking millions of gallons of water out of the ground every day but um yeah <laughs> they're imposing hose pipe bands we haven't had any rain for several months not any substantial rain and it has mm. been hot here i mean we're back into the mid 30s uh, celsius again this week so that's high that's high 80s yeah and hitting hitting high 30s this weekend so it is unseasonally hot and it's been like that for quite some time so we saw a few weeks ago if you recall at donington park when the world supers rocked up to uh to donny you know nearly 40 degrees centigrade that weekend and we're going to be getting close to that this weekend in some parts of the country so yeah silverstone it wasn't that hot last weekend but uh it was sort of mid to upper 20 degrees centigrade uh which is still pretty warm and did catch a lot of the teams out it has to be said, uh, which we'll come to. Uh, but yes, you're right. You could have been forgiven. We were in the south of Spain or something. Given yeah. that all of the ground is parched, parched yellow at the moment. Well, let's get to Moto3. We always, as we do, we'll start out with some qualifying. Yeah. So the guys the guys that were in that first run, um, Artigas, Garcia, Munoz, Fernandez, um, Rossi, and Juan Masia were all there. In that first one, I don't think anyone was necessarily out of place in that. Is we always look for the outlier that happens to be in there, mm. but Rossi, Artigas, um, and um, uh, the Japanese rider and Munoz got through to get into the second qualifying session. Interestingly, there really hadn't been a crash by a Moto Three bike all weekend to this point, right? Mm. And uh, that's kind of interesting. That I think that plays a little bit as to what happens later. It's a little foreshadowing, if you will. Yep. We got to the second qualifying session. What I thought was interesting is throughout the weekend, everybody was talking about how good the Hondas worked at Silverstone. It was as if the track was tailor-made for a Honda Moto 3 bike. And lo and behold, you didn't have a Honda anywhere near the, <laughs> the front. I, in qualifying, it was really surprising. It, the surprise came from Diego Moreira, the Brazilian, the young Brazilian, the, just the freshly turned 18-year-old rocked up a pole position pipping uh ethan Guevara on the gas gas machine followed by yamanaka then rossi which i think is the first of the hondas because the six squad six six course of 58 squad that's mm -hmm. mouthful uh yeah. <laughs> runs runs hondas and then it was nefa after that then on to sixth fagia was only could only qualify seventh on that which i thought was well out of place of where given the hondas were the bike to beat fagia not being there considering i think we all agree that the leopard team is sort of quasi factory honda if you will mm. 
And then he's followed directly by his teammate Suzuki, then Sasaki and McPhee Garcia and Helgardo with a fast 12 there as we were waiting for race day to appear. When race day did appear, it was hot. Not quite the temperature we were going to get to later in the day because Moto3 was first race of the day. But I have been racking my brain to try to explain to everybody what happened in this race because (laughs) the first three laps are mind-numbingly amazing. There's so many passes in so many places by so many people. It is impossible to tell you who was where, when, because it was changing every single corner. And it was people passing two guys at a time, three guys at a time, people drafting everybody to get to where they wanted to be. It was a rock'em, sock'em, crazy first couple of laps. (laughs) I, I was like, wow, this is going to be fun. Because it was a, it was a, as we've seen, the fast tracks tend to hold these groups together uh, in Moto3. And at one point, you know, at the end of the first lap, Anju had blasted up from six to become first. Guevara was second. Our pole setter uh, uh, had gone back to third for, you know, Morera. Then it was Sasaki, Suzuki, Yamanaki, Rossi, Fajia, whatever. Throw it in a blender, mix it up, and it came right back out again in some other order. It was as if you were watching lottery balls drop out, you know, as to yeah. who was going to win where. I, I, I'm at a loss to try to try to under to explain to you guys just how amazing this race is. You can't detail it out, Jim. No, it's just it's impossible. impossible. I mean, it was a, I mean, it was a very typical Moto Three race, but it was kind of a Moto Three race on, you know, on steroids, really wasn't it i mean that's the way oh, to describe yeah. it I, I mean i was full disclosure i was obviously at the track on on the sunday so i was sat in the stands with my little binoculars trying to watch the big screen which was a hundred feet away so it wasn't the easiest to follow in detail and, and silverstone being such a long track they only come past every sort of two and a half minutes so not the easiest to follow track side a bit like i guess you found when you're at kota earlier yeah. in the year jim but yeah i mean from what i could gather and i haven't had a chance to watch the races back unfortunately just with one thing and another but um it was frantic uh, my recollection is that as you say the first few laps were just bonkers it, it kind of settled down a little bit for the middle portion as it tends to do and then the last few laps were were bonkers again so just very very entertaining oh yeah so that, like like Grish said the middle part of the race is definitely um calmed down i mean at one point John McPhee was leading. <laughs> yes. I mean, I mean that's just that's just how crazy this this was. Um, I can't count the number of times they were three to four wide going into what's at the end of the hangar straight? Is that Stowe? Stowe, Stowe yeah. corner, yeah, yeah. Um, it, that was just wild, <laughs> personally. Yeah. It was somewhere in the middle of that race. The horrifying thought came to me was like wow, nobody's tucked the front end yet under braking, considering the fact that whether they were going into uh, uh, Stowe at the end of the end of the back, end of the hangar straight or that, what do they call the Wellington straight that takes you into, is that farm or the loop or what, what, what do you guys, farm and village in the loop, I guess, is that? Yeah, right? that's the little kind of nagery section about okay. two thirds of the way around. Oh, and, and then it's the, the other way. Wellington then it's the Wellington straight okay. and then you're kind of into the Luffield uh, complex. But yeah, uh, no crashes, I think, yeah. across the whole weekend at the end of the Wellington straight, which is very, very unusual but is temperature related quite clearly. 
at this point, I'm waiting for somebody to screw up and take about six guys out of the <laughs> of the race because that's just what it felt like was going to happen. Like mm. they can't keep doing this all the whole time. With eight laps to go, Fazia had come to the front and he did put a half a second on everyone. Now, that in itself was kind of amazing, but you knew it wasn't going to last because you knew yeah. they were all going to gang back up on him and come right back by again. And sure enough, it did. It took us to the point where we had three laps left in the race that bonkers became pure insanity of what happened in the final few laps of the race. It was Sasaki and uh, who else? Garcia. Garcia, thank you. Um, Garcia and Sasaki go down at turn 13. Sasaki's the first person to make the mistake on the brakes, fold the front end, and then takes out Garcia. So the championship leader is gone from this race. Yeah, And you're like, Mm. whoa, okay. Sasaki basically, when he came down after having plowed in and kind of went over that high side, I was wondering if he was knocked out. He was he was taken off via a stretcher mm. from it. I have not seen or heard anything else about him at this time. So I'm hoping that everything is just a-okay. And it was one of those precautionary things. He got the wind, just the stuffing knocked out of him. And it's like, okay, but he did go in on his head in a odd angle if you watch the replay like it wasn't on the top of his head it was more his his chin against his his chin down and on the the sort of the back side of his head um you know after i saw it the second time i was very fearful that perhaps he had a neck injury from just the way that his body and everything there but again like i said i i know nothing i'm praying for the best for him that he will be at in two weeks he'll be in austria and bearing in mind, let's not forget that he had that really nasty crash with Masia in Mugello where he bust, well, originally they said two collarbones, uh, but I think it was one in the end. But that isn't all that long ago. So, I mean, mm. although these guys heal super quickly, that sort of a crash would quite easily re-break a, a recently healed collarbone. So maybe that's what's, but we don't know. I mean, as you say, there's been no word on that. No word. As of this time, for reference, everybody, we're recording on Wednesday, the 10th of August. Yeah. Uh, then we get into essentially, I think, like the last lap where it goes crazier because now uh, Ortello, who had come through the pack and just sort of like magically poof appeared in the front, goes down with Guevara, who, who had gotten back to the front because he hadn't been anywhere near it. Um, which he was trying to minimize the damage that Fazio was going to put on everybody by taking the 25 points. And Guevara and them are down at Stowe. So this is at the end of the hangar straight. Again, same kind of a deal. Somebody left it late, pulled the handle just a little too hard, tucked in the front, and down they both went into the gravel trap. So the second guy in the championship, Guevara, who stood to gain the championship lead, if he just finished... Yeah. Isn't going to finish. So in a, in a scope of about two laps, the entire fortunes of the gas gas moto three team is blown away due to other people knocking their guys off. So I'm, I'm sure we will get penalties galore for the next, for the next race in Austria. Yeah, but yeah, I'd be interested to see if any action is taken. I mean, I, again, I haven't heard of any action 
resulting from either. I mean, I can't believe Sasaki's not going to get sanctioned for taking Garcia out. But the, I, I've, I've just got to say, Jim, just take a quick pause there. Mm-hmm. Otola, where the hell did he come from this weekend? Were you, were you like me thinking, because oh, again, I was looking through the binoculars, I'm looking at the timing screen thing and looking at the initials on the board. And I'm thinking, who the hell is ORT? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, where the hell has he come from? Because he's been, let's be honest, I mean, he's been pretty much nowhere all year. And then suddenly he's in the lead at one point. I mean, it's like, holy hell, <laughs> just unbelievable. And yeah. For, for him to take uh, Gravara, it was, uh, well, unfortunate for both parties. Uh, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. I, I was shocked. I like, where's this form been? Um, and even at that, you, no one was paying attention. He just simply burst onto the scene. Yeah. Uh, so I I've, haven't had time to rewatch that part of the race. Cause I kind of like to see how, how he got there with a little more attention paid I, to him during the race. I don't think he would or deserves a penalty because he just simply went in a bit hot and lost the front and Gravara, who was on the outside of him, was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, there was no malice in it. Uh, It was just one of those unfortunate racing incidents, I'm afraid. I believe this one's a racing incident. The Sasaki one, I do not. No, no. He, I think, has an incoming penalty for the next race. I think there's a long lap coming in his future. Assuming he's in the race, which he may not be, given... (laughs) Correct. ...what happened. Mm. Yes, and we don't know, and again... We're not speculating about anything until we know. No, fingers, fingers crossed he's okay. Yeah, oh, yes. Yeah. But all the fun was not over yet with Moto3. We had one more bit of insanity, I guess, is the only way to put it. Because Munoz goes down at Woodcott on the very, which is Woodcott is the next to last turn? Or Yeah, he went down at, uh, it's left field, I think. Is oh, left field, the, okay. Is, is that, that, and then Woodcott's the fast one onto the main straight, but right. yeah. I think it was because it's slow into Woodcott and you wind it on as you go out. And I think he lost yeah. it on the exit there. So he had gone from a pure podium down from there. It finishes with our good man, Dennis Fagia winning. Then Mossy is second on a KTM. Anchu is up on the other factory KTM is third. Toba is magically fourth. I, I, could not tell you where he came from, except for <laughs> and by the end of the race, he was fourth. I mean, th- this is how good this race is. I'm, I'm, I'm try- not trying to overemphasize how good this is, but this is one of these races you show your friends. This is why I go to MotoGP. Exactly. Is, you put this in the little memory bank of, hey, show them this one. But then he, they were followed by Nepa, Marrera, McPhee, Yamanaka, Mino, and Tatai. That was your top 10 coming out of that. It was incredible race. Um, well-deserved victory by Fagia. It is a shame that his because didn't uh, didn't you know Suzuki went down with who he went down with Munoz right because Sasaki did not finish the race because no, at, at the at the end because um, I don't again bad note taking on my part for that one but I but I know he was down in the, he was down in the incident with or tell the art no. They, yeah, I'm sorry, Jim. I can't yeah, take I, it. I, know, I, was, I, know, I, know. I was just it's watching okay. trackside and I haven't watched it back. It's okay. so it was such a melee. It was just impossible oh, yeah. to keep up, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's oh, yeah. not knowing is almost a good thing in this context because yeah. it was so, it was such an exciting action packed race, certainly in the first third and the last third, that Z- it was almost impossible to keep track of it. Yeah. Suzuki was the victim of someone who ran into the back of Anchu's bike, then drifted wide, which I think it was, or I think it was Ortella on the next to last lap on the second to last lap. And then that caused Suzuki to go off into the, into the gravel. 
I believe okay, that's we'll to, I believe that we'll have to check that again. We'll but either either way, yeah. Suzuki, who had been racing well, and, and every time Fage got to the front, Suzuki seemed to somehow become second <laughs> behind Fage yeah. and was more than willing to kind of have a wide bike <laughs> with that, <laughs> if you will. Um, team orders in effect at Leopard here, but he was, you know, put it put out of the race. And then Fage did stop by and carried him back. Because I either that or either that or he went down down in the Either that or he went down in the Ortello Guevara thing at the very end at Stowe because it wasn't very far and they were back to the pits. Either either way, Suzuki was out as well. So yeah, it definitely shook the championship up some. I mean, Garcia doesn't change his position at all. Guevara is still second and he's still three points behind because neither of them finished, right? And then Fagia is a big winner. He was pre, you know, he was. He's now 42 behind. He was now uh, only 39 points behind or 42 points behind now or whatever behind. No, 45 behind our leader. Okay. Um, Garcia. And he was like almost 65 points, 60, 65 points. So for him to gain a lot there. And we saw this last year with Fagia from sort of Silverstone on, he seemed to suddenly catch form. He and he yeah. won race after race after race after race. And I'm wondering if he's going to do that because we're going to Austria, long straights, fast track. Yeah. You got to almost think, and it's a stop start track. Mm-hmm. Do you almost think that the KTM may be better? Because it seems like the KTMs are sort of better in braking. But I think the KTMs are better breaking into those middle speed corners than necessarily the high speed stop to almost nothing and then squirting back out again. So I mean, we've always said. It's the top speed of that Leopard, isn't it? Which is its secret weapon. And certainly Red Bull Ring will lend itself to that. Although there's a new chicane uh, at Red Bull Ring, which wasn't there last year. But And then you've got places like Aragon coming on, massive back straight. I mean, mm-hmm. you'd have to fancy the Hondas there. So there are some tracks coming up that will support your theory that he's likely to have a good run in in this second portion of the championship. So he's definitely not out of it. I mean, Gas Gas were just team were just very very unlucky in this race because both riders taken out by other people so i mean that just that happens doesn't it it does it's called racing yeah and this is sort of why we watch yeah the, the thing that was amazing about the race stream as you i think you alluded to earlier on was just it was so frantic and it was only with about six laps to go that a few people started to go down up until that point it was just absolutely full-on and as you say remarkable that there weren't more crashes given how intense the racing was Again, I think it's probably partly to do with the fact that we just had ideal weather and track conditions this weekend, sort of just perfect grip conditions for these guys. Because Silverstone's always caught people out in the past by being a bit chilly. Mm. Uh, we certainly didn't have that this weekend. Um, and that's very much the feature of the next races that we're going to talk about. Yeah. I'm going to slide one thing in here about Moto3, just as a thing. This kind of goes to, to a little bit of what Simon Crafar was talking about in the interview in 700 about the you know they kind of been telling those guys you got to go out you got to do it on your own this is this is how you do it you don't you don't wait around for someone and you know this draft thing and we've opined more than enough that this pack racing that happens is a bit ominous you you can't leave 18 year olds in this kind of a (laughs) situation who have no fear of hurting themselves going at it and we, we had talked about the fact that Jurgen van der Gerberg had said, well, you got to make sure their transmission ratios only drop like 10 Ks in each one. And I think that's a really good idea. 
but it came to me after the Simon Crayfart interview that maybe there's a better way to break up the pack. And, and I think we need to change the motorcycle. So here's my thought. Mm-hmm. In MotoGP, we ride 1,000cc motorcycles. That's the, that's the displacement. Now, help me with this one, Rich, because I usually do this backwards, but the, the Triumphs are a 765 Moto3 bike. Yeah. Okay. So there's 765 cc's triple cylinder but a moto 2 bike is only 250 cc's as a single cylinder so these kids are moving from a 250 cc bike to a moto 2 bike that's like almost 800 cc's Mm -hmm. so my thought is what if we made a moto 3 bike that was a twin cylinder 500 cc bike now you could have freedom you could do a parallel twin you could Mm -hmm. do a v-twin Either way, but you would have, you know, maximum displacement of like, I think with an 82 millimeter bore that they're forced to run that for, that makes it somewhere close to like, don't quote me on this, but it's somewhere close to, to, to 498 cc's or something like that. That I think would be cool because you'd have people on a moto on moto three esque bikes coming from the CEV coming from the, the, the Red Bull rookies, that kind of thing where, you know, Acosta made his living in, right. But then you get on a bike that's a little bigger, a little faster, a little more torque. And I think it would, it would take, it would be more rider input. And I think you could see people kind of break away a little bit. I don't think everything would be there. Cause it's kind of like going after that formula of sports, super sport 300, which yes, isn't 300, exactly. which isn't 300 anymore. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering about that. So that's my but idea. It- yeah, and as the super sport, the stupidly titled super sport three hundred, because none of the bikes are three hundred anymore. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, the rules are pitched in such a way that you can, as you just said, you can run a, a variety of configurations to meet the reg. And if you remember, Jim, last year when we had that spate of you know fatalities in the s- small formula races, not just in Moto three, but in the sort of the European series and so on a lot of the talk at the time was that one of the problems with this formula, this Moto3 formula, we have it in the British Talent Cup, you're going to have it in the sort of the equivalent in America and all these other ones around the world, Asia Talent Cup, etc. is that the bikes are too similar and they are underpowered. And so it's all about slipstream and it's all about corner speed. And so it, it encourages pack racing. Whereas if you had a more powerful bike, people would make small mistakes and then the packs would split a little bit. Um, so I totally agree with you, and I, I really wish and hope that that is what will happen in the fullness of time. And if they were to do it in the way that you suggest, where you could run twins or triples or, or whatever the regulations might say with ver- various weight uh, kind of classes, perhaps, I think that would help to alleviate this problem somewhat. And it would be a graduation from the feeder series as well, because as you say, you get an Acosta situation where they know the bike inside out, more or less and it's not enough of a jump really to come up to that and it's as you say now and i think the triumph i think another piece of news that we didn't touch on because i don't know the detail but i think triumph have just announced that they're beefing up the engine in moto 2 for next year or possibly the year after uh, either they're going to increase the capacity a bit more they're going to do something with the electronics to make it a bit talkier mm. so that widens the gap still further potentially which only adds to the problem really in terms of it not being quite the feeder series that it used to be when you used to jump onto a 600 cc four-cylinder honda engine yep you know that triumph is a significantly different animal 
very now. much so. And it seems like Moto Three is getting dropped behind a little bit, and ought to ought to change probably in the next couple of seasons. Yep. So that's my idea. I figured 500 because you already got a 250. You're just putting another cylinder beside yeah. it. You, that yeah. was where I sort of came with it. Um, yep. Cause it was kind of like from back in the old two stroke days, you had a 125 single cylinder, you had a 250 twin cylinder, right? You doubled capacity. Oh, and then yeah. you went to a V4 500, you added two more cylinders again. So yeah, yeah, yeah kinda, no, that makes kinda, sense. Kind of flying down that road where I think the gap between what Triumph is producing, which I think is a good Moto2 bike and where we are with the Moto3 bike, it's too wide. And I think that we need to to separate that a little bit and change it. But those are my ideas, people. Write in, let us know what you think. You know, motopod at motopodcast.com. I've got to say though, Jim, and I'm sure you would perhaps second. Oh, interesting actually that Simon Crayford sort of was alluding to the fact he isn't a big fan of the Moto Three mm-hmm. series for various reasons and, and perfectly valid reasons as well. But you know, being trackside and looking at those bikes and watching them sort of from reasonably close quarters, they are beautiful little pieces of engineering. Oh, they're a they, great piece of they kit. They are tremendous things. I mean, the speed that they get out of a 250 cylinder, uh, single cylinder is just uh, outrageous, really. They, they are something else, those things. When was the last time you ever saw one of those 250 motors pop? Yeah, like never, <laughs> ever. Is it? I can't even think of it ever happening, actually. Not in a race, anyway. Yeah, I, I literally cannot think of a single occasion. There were a couple Mahindras that let go early on when Mahindra came into the class, but <laughs> yeah, I, I you know there really isn't a that's it's amazing, right? It's amazing what mm. those little motors can do. They are a serious piece of kit. They're super cool, but you know, again, you could keep I think the same frame or a very similarly sized frame and put a parallel twin in pretty easily. You could put a V twin in. I just think it'd be I think it's a good step. I just, I think it might be the best solution to, to a lot of the problems we've been talking about, because it's going to be a lot harder bike to ride and you're going to have a natural separation of guys who have been in the class from a year prior at the front where the people who have just now dropped into the class, wow, they're learning a whole new bike and a whole new setup. And they're going to kind of be hit or miss in that middle to back section, learning your craft and you're graduating sort of to the front. I know. And it was just what came to me after listening to what Simon had said. So, yeah, no, totally agree. All right, let's move on to the Moto 2 race. Uh, so, Moto 2 qualifying, uh, we had Chantra, Aldiger, Antonelli, Navarro, and Gonzalez all in that first qualifying session. Chantra was really the ma- odd man out. We kind of suspect Chantra to do a little bit better nowadays. So, he, him being there was a bit off putting, if you will. Um, we had Navarro, Gonzalez, Zarconi, surprisingly. And Chantra all go through. And then we got into QP2. Now, I was proud of the Americans Cambobier. He had gotten through directly into Moto2, uh, or sorry, to QP2, uh, as well as Joe Roberts had also gotten there off the, off the, uh, from their three practice three sessions. So I was proud of the Americans to, to be there. Now, the big story was Vietti had fallen off at turn nine and was not going to uh, go any further in, that se- in, the, in the session. So he was going to start from way down. Uh, but Fernandez came through to steal the pole. Roberts tried very hard on the last lap to beat him and almost, almost nipped him for pole, but did not. Then it was Ayagura, Arenas, uh, Vierge, uh, Vietti, sorry, and uh, then Jake Dixon. So 
that was your uh, top six that was there. Well, I just we didn't mention it earlier on, but um, I must just make mention of, and it's more pertinent to the race, I suppose. But Rory Skinner, as we had mentioned in the previous episode, had his first wild card in the American Racing Team because he's management, a part of that outfit. And okay, he didn't get through to uh, Q1 in on Saturday, but I think I had a pretty incredible weekend really and certainly a very impressive race which we'll get to in just a moment but it was a little bit of a shock to me because again I wasn't at the track on Saturday I had a family event so I didn't actually get to see the qualifying um so I was a little bit shocked that Dixon wasn't the fastest I I really thought he would get the pole because he was super quick on Friday and I put out a tweet because I stood down at the Abbey Corner for uh, FP2 on the Friday afternoon and I mean Dixon was just head and shoulders above everybody else through there. I mean, you really can, when you are trackside, you really can differentiate the fast guys from the, let's call them the less fast guys, because they're all ruddy quick, these guys. But just the point at which, you know, they're tapping on the power at the apex and so on. I mean, uh, Dixon and Fernandez in particular, they were full gas, right, you know, absolutely cracked open on the apex, whereas most other people were blending the throttle in. You You could just see where you know, the five, six tenths of a second over the lap was coming from. So I was really quite surprised that Dixon dropped back a little bit on the Saturday and ended up sick. Yeah. I was surprised Cannon wasn't faster in qualifying. I mean, he he rolled in at a lowly 10th. So mm. I mean, it was kind of shocking that they were that, I don't want to say that bad or just missed it on that day. or you know, But again, I suppose we, we've seen this issue with Moto2, haven't we? It's almost Moto3-esque in the sense that one weekend to another, it's hard to predict who the main players are going to be, bar one or two people that you can now pretty much, you know, uh, put put the money on. But yeah, Kanet didn't have a particularly impressive weekend. Whether he's still struggling to recover from that accident that he had, car accident, mm. And, and the repercussions of that, who knows? I mean, they've had several weeks off, but how to say, really? Yeah. Let's look at the race, shall we? Mm. Uh, I think this one was a fairly straightforward thing. Now, Vietti gets a long lap penalty to, before the start of the race for an infraction on Friday, where for some weird reason, Vietti just simply rolls up to the, the practice start line Cuts in front of everybody and decides he's going to do his practice start there. Mm. Boy. What? I mean, yeah. where, where's your brain, boy? <laughs> Did you take it out and leave it in the garage and forgot to put it back in? I mean, that was silly. I mean, that was silly. Yeah. Um, Lowe's would not start the race because of a Friday crash. So yes. he was unfit. And Acosta was deemed unfit despite his tweet that he'd be there and back into the championship hunt mm. nah you, you were told no go home so maybe the doctors are starting to care a little bit about them hopefully well sometimes they do and sometimes they don't I, it mean, depends on, yeah. I think it depends on what your name is and whether you ride on a moto gp bike it could be yeah uh, there's something not quite right still but yes i mean at least he was told no you're not fit enough yet and obviously yeah we didn't mention sam Lowe's came off more basically on the third lap of the weekend yeah, I didn't uh, see it. Stuck it in the gravel and busted his wrist. Did something pretty bad to his wrist, whether it's a break, uh, I, I don't know. But it was obviously badly damaged enough that he couldn't take part in any anything after three laps of the weekend. So that was a, a bitter disappointment for him and for us as British fans. 
Yeah, I was disappointed. I wanted to see Lowe's and Dixon near the front, but yeah. uh, you know. There you go. There's next yep. year. There's always next year. That's what hope springs eternal, right? Absolutely. So Joe Roberts would wind up leading the race at the beginning ahead of Fernandez and Agura and Arenas. Uh, this race looked Moto two or sorry, Moto three esque because they started to swap it around. Not as much, but there was a lot of different guys leading. At one point, Agura was in front. Another time, that uh, by Canet would be in front. Uh, Fernandez would go up near the front, but not get there, and he'd start to go backwards a little bit. Uh, you know, they they were all over each other. Um, there were some great drives up the inside at Stowe. I mean, uh, it was there were some moments where you go, "Whoa, that was quite the the take that was heading into um, Stowe." Um, there was a lot going on. Vietti almost dumped it when he took the long lap penalty. Oh yeah, on there. Which was very close. Uh, you know, I thought he's gonna he he Marquezed it because I think now we can use him as a verb, right? Uh, yes. So he put <laughs> put the elbow down, picked awesome. it back up, and uh, took off there. So he Marquezed it. Uh, again, this race is a really good Moto Two race. They're all over each other. They're running around uh, with fourteen to go. Bobier did fall off. It was his sixth uh, DNF of the season. He did it at club. He was showing some pace. I think he had a chance to be in the top five pretty easily. So I was disappointed yet again by the American group there as well. Uh, we had Lopez go to the front at one point as well. Kenneth was hanging in there. I thought maybe we'll get to see what the bow tie is all about. Wasn't really <laughs> sure. I was hoping. Robbed again. Yeah. Robbed again of that one. Dixon uh, went, went and uh, put a really great move on a girl to get back past him. Then Arenas went down at Maggots. That was a bit of a scary crash because, if, as you know, it's Maggots back. It's Chapel. Arenas fell off. He and his bike went onto the corner of Beckett's. So he was in the racing line, and I think Arbolino had to run off into the gravel to avoid him. Great yeah. move to, to avoid both bike and rider, but that broke what was call it a 10 rider lead draft into a sort of a six guys at the front kind of a thing because yeah. they weren't going to get it. They weren't going to get it back at that point. Uh, so that was a, that was the first follower that we had in there. I think that was the only follower was there. Uh, Lopez has Fernandez all over him with five to go, but he just can't seem to shake him off. Um, then it was Kenneth Agur and Dixon. Dixon was putting on the charge, but nobody was going to take it away from Augusto Fernandez. He would win the race. He would be followed by Lopez. Dixon would make a great set of moves in the final lap to take over third place and come home for a podium, which I thought was fantastic for him. Um, Dixon's starting to show some real pace on that bike. And consistency, which has been his big problem up until now. Yeah, he seems to have gotten it together. Then Agura was fourth. Kenneth slid back to fifth. Are are uh, almost crashing in the long lap penalty. Celestino Vietti would ride it back to six. Roberts just lost the plot and went back to seventh. Then it was Navarro, Slack, and Bo Ben Schneider rounding out the top ten in Moto Two. If we look at the championship, uh, it's all Augusto Fernandez now. I'm not so sure that he's not going to just put a couple more races on these guys and sort of romp this one home. Ayagura is. 
close. He's only 13 points behind. Uh, Chelsea Ovietti has now dropped to third in this uh, group. And Canada, of course, having missed a couple of races because of the car accident was in his fourth. Then it's Arbolino, Roberts, Dixon, Schroeder. Costa is still in the top 10 at ninth. And then Sean Cat Chantra, say that, say that five times fast <laughs> to get that one. And he's there 10th. So that was where we were with Moto2. Any words of Moto2 wisdom to impart upon us, Mr. Jowett? Yeah, like you, Jim, I think Augusto Fernandez is now going to put a fair bit of clear air between himself and the following pack. He's kind of hitting the sort of form that I think we were expecting him to have on the IO bike, more or less straight from the get-go this season. And that didn't happen, but he's looking ominous, isn't he, now? Mm. The biggest problem for him, really, his big decision for next year is going to be whether he runs the number one plate in Moto2 or not, because unfortunately, I don't think he's got anywhere to go but staying in the series, which is a shame for him, because he looks like a guy to me for a variety of reasons, one of which is his size. Um, he ought to be getting up onto a MotoGP bike before too much longer, but unfortunately, I just don't see where he's going to end up. Much like Mary and Joseph, there is no room at the end. There is <laughs> <laughs> there is exactly. no seat. There is no seat for him to go to, and mm. that is a bit of a crime. Well, uh, certainly as things stand at the moment, I mean, you, okay, you can never rule out a rider, you know, getting injured or whatever. But you, that's not how you want to graduate up yeah. to the next series, anyway. Yeah. But yeah, he's looking good. Mm. The only possibility, if Gardner doesn't get another year at Tech Three he will be slotted alongside Paul Spargo. Yeah, I agree. But I, you know, Gardner has had a couple of very good races now and Silverstone yes. in particularly was a good race for him. And having, I think, annoyed management a little bit, let's just politely say it that way. <laughs> I think he's kind of got his act together a little bit and got his head down. And I think the results are starting to come a little bit now. So I'm, I would be very surprised if Gardner doesn't get onto that bike again next year. So it's tough. Tough cookie for Augusto yeah. Fernandez. I think that the other couple of things I just wanted to point out for Moto2 from my point of view was um, Alonso Lopez. I mean, a few races ago, certainly first quarter of the season, all we could talk about was Fermin Aldegar. You know, okay, Fanati was his teammate and Fanati got booted out of the Boscoscura camp from Mizano, I think, onwards. Close. Lopez came in and replaced him and has comprehensively outshone Aldegar ever since he arrived. And very nearly won that race on Sunday. Okay, I think Fernandez had, had the measure of him and he did win the race, but great ride by great ride by Lopez. And as I said earlier on, just a quick shout out for Rory Skinner. I think he finished 20th or 21st, if I'm not mistaken, which on the face of it doesn't sound that great, but just to finish your first Moto2 race and beat some reasonably experienced people, I think was a absolutely outstanding effort from his point of view. And he is going to be riding again at the Red Bull Ring. That's his two uh, sort of wild cards, if you like, that he's been given by the American racing team. So it'll be yeah, fascinating to see how he gets on at Red Bull Ring with a full weekend under his belt. He did crash, I think, in free practice one towards the end on the Friday. But other than that, I think he was up, up on two wheels the whole weekend and going pretty fast. And without wishing to cast shade on anybody, but I mean, he did outperform... Uh, Sean Dillon Kelly over the course of the weekend. Now, okay, Skinner has knowledge of Silverstone, albeit not the full Grand Prix track because the BSB guys don't race on the full uh, GP track. But 
okay, some local knowledge and the and the home crowd behind him, which who knows if that gives you a couple of tenths or not. But I was I was sat in the stands uh, directly across from Woodcut uh, Corner. And yeah, watching all of the bikes through there, but particularly the Moto2 and the MotoGP bikes, the way they ride the kerb through there and it chucks the rear wheel out. I mean, it's scary to watch. And Skinner was really impressive through there. So, yeah, great ride by him. That's good. Like, good to see some British talent coming. So, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah I, I know. Sean Delacroix is having a tough time. Um, well, I think he's doing pretty well, all things considered, because it's a, you know, it's a tough class moto too, isn't it? And they're not easy bikes if you've been running around on a on a thousand cc superbike for a few seasons, as he has, uh, and indeed as Skinner has been doing now. But Skinner has great pedigree in the smaller classes and was in the Red Bull Rookies, for example, a few years ago. So he's been in the GP paddock before, but as has happened with British riders in particular over the years, just didn't have the you know the financial backing to stay put, so ended up going into production sort of series and Skinner's been a champion on 600 cc's in the domestic championship on production bikes and is doing pretty good things on the Kawasaki and BSB but of course it's a huge jump to come across to Moto2 and suddenly perform well and I think he did exceptionally well so yeah looking forward to Red Bull Ring. On to MotoGP qualifying. Yeah yeah. So the big boys show up and I'll save this till I save this to the race because it's one of my talking points. So, um, in the first qualifying session, um, Bastianini was the odd man out. His stagosaurus-toothed motor GP bike wasn't fast enough to get out of free practice three to get to qualifying two. That thing looks ugly. Oh, <laughs> um, it's hideous! It's absolutely. Hideous. We've gone too far. I'm, I'll give you the wings on the front end. Okay. I will give you that, but this Stagosaurus type looking, what is Aberration. that? Operation. <laughs> yeah, a, there's actually a true technical term for it uh, aerodynamically. I think it's called a rake or a strake. Strike, I, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a strake. Yeah. And mm. I'm like, oh, no, nah, come on. No. <laughs> and the point of it is not that this is going to matter here in, in any point, but in the race, one of the wings gets knocked off the front of his motorcycle. It didn't really seem to slow him down any. Mm. That's all I'm going to say. It was the left-hand wing, which arguably was the right one to lose out of the two, because there aren't that many left-hand turns around Silverstone. But it must have had an effect of some description, but it didn't really seem to be a clincher, did it, as we'll come to. Anyway, uh, we got to get into uh, the second. So... Um, Bastianini and Bezecchi would go through. Uh, Alex Marquez had a crash on eight and nine, and he sort of got really kind of aggravated <laughs> when he got up and started throwing stones and stuff. I think at Bezecchi, and it's like, what? <laughs> Come on, man! You, you crashed that one on your own, pal. <laughs> I don't know. It's like maybe I see things differently. I don't know. He's a Honda rider. He just wants the year to finish. I think. I uh, every Honda rider probably just wants the year to finish and not get burned. <laughs> yeah yeah oh so anyway in the second one um Aleish was riding after a huge high side that happened at farm his he his ankles heels are all nasty they didn't break anything but they were swollen and he came down hard on his right one in which i'm trying to think predominantly left predominantly right-handed turns at silverstone because you're going what was it that's clockwise sorry yeah. i had to think about it for a second and uh 
that would be the right thing to have because you want to push more on your left to stand the bike back up. So you're not having to do as much of that. Um, arguably though, a lot of the right-handed corner, well, arguably a lot of the left-handed corners are slower. So you need to put more weight out there with your right foot, but, uh, kind of a wash, but he was going to, he, cause he did that in free practice four cool. right before qualifying. So he got, was declared fit to ride and went for it. And I tell you, he came through and put down a lap of a 157, the first sub 158 at Silverstone with feet that had to be hurting like hell mm. and put it down. And I thought, oh my gosh, this guy's going to put this thing on pole position, but it was not to be. Uh, he would fall down to fifth as a lot of riders would go by him. Uh, it was uh, Zarco who would be the fastest man. Then Vinales on the other Aprilia proving that we are all wrong about Maverick Vinales and he deserves to be on an Aprilia would be second. Miller on another on another Ducati would be third. Quattraro would make a valiant effort to be fourth. He needed to be on the front row in reality. He didn't get it, but he tried. Then it was Benyaya fifth. Alessa I said having fallen to sixth. And then Bezeki, Bastianini, Martin, Marini, Rins, and Juan Mir for qualifying. Now that gets us to the race. So the first big talking point is the fact that Quattraro has to take the long lap penalty for indiscretions from Assen. I think we've beat that dead horse. Let's not go there. But my question to you, Rich, is this. If you know you're getting a penalty and you get to practice going through the long loop, long lap penalty lane, is it a penalty anymore? Well, I mean, more fundamentally than that, Jim, every long lap is different at every track. So, you know, it was a second and a half at Silverstone. It might be three seconds. At- I don't know, name another track, Barcelona, for example. So I don't see, I mean, it's still a penalty. Okay, you're going to lose some time, but I don't see how it can vary that much and be very sort of fair. I agree. Because, you know, somebody else would say, well, I, you know, let's say Banyaya had to take a penalty in Barcelona. Well, he would have lost more time (laughs) than Quattro lost at Silverstone. So is that really fair? I don't think it is. I think it's got to rethink this whole They do mess really and again I, let's not get too far into the discussion no. with Simon Crayfar but he kind of made his feelings fairly plain on it as well and yeah, yeah I, but I yes I agree with you I don't see why you should be able to practice it because you're just lessening the penalty even further by being able to nail it like that and I mean when it came to the race he nailed it didn't he I mean he really Big did time. You know, they got to do something. I think the simplest thing is to sit there and cone off that section of track for the practice sessions and for qualifying. On Sunday morning in the warm-up, you're allowed to go through once, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, and you're allowed to go through one more time when you do your sighting or warm-up reconnaissance lap if you choose to on race day. So you'd only get the benefit of two times. I think part of the reason... Um, you have a long lap as you want, you want to discourage that activity of what you did wrong, but you need to have it as a penalty. It can't be a rubbered in part of racetrack that gives me the same amount of grip and whatnot that I have if I'm on the racing line. So if it's mm-hmm. dirty, well, Hey, I'm sorry. You, you took a penalty. You did a no, no, you need to be penalized. And so therefore you are going to be penalized because this is now a dirty portion of the racetrack. Yeah. You know, so like I don't know what it was like when you were at school, Jim, but you know, if you did something naughty and you had to do hundred lines after school, you didn't get to do twenty of the lines before after school started. You know, you had to do them all after school. So that's kind of what we're saying, isn't it? it? If it's a penalty, it has to be a full penalty, and it's not at the moment with the way that they're handling it. 
Yep. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, that's one of these things where if you're going to have that, you couldn't do anything to him at Assen because he never finished the race. So I, I understand, but what are you going to do? So, you know, my thinking is again, again, outside the box thinking here. Okay. Why not give you a grid penalty as opposed to a long lap penalty? Hmm. So why not just generically say you're dropped three positions. If you have an indiscretion and you are not able to take a penalty at the prior race and you have to take it at this race, you're dropped three spots on the grid. Yeah. Because that's, that's essentially what they're trying to do is drop you back roughly about a second. And if we think about it, as you look at it, it's tenths of seconds between these guys, but it's almost a half a second or more there. And it's also going to put you perhaps on the dirty side of the racetrack. I think it's just easier for that to be applied than this long lap and letting you practice it all weekend. And, and it's actually it right. consistent because three places back and three places back, there's no there's no difference you know i mean that is just a consistent penalty i mean full disclosure i think we've made our position perfectly clear certainly i have that i didn't think quattro deserved a penalty full stop but anyway that's by the by he got one so now we're talking about well how much of a penalty was it compared to other penalties that people get and it should be the same and it's not so yeah again fully with you on that suggestion just do a grid penalty anyway uh, as the race started the question then became where was he going to, where is he going to start out at? And, you know, and he, he did start well, he had got a great start to be right behind Zarco out of there. So he got what he wanted. He got close to the Ducati. And in the beginning, they started to pull away a little bit. The question then became, well, when is he going to actually take the long lap penalty? Well, you can't take it till rest, race direction tells you that you're allowed to take it. So you can take it on lap two, lap three, or lap four, because you have three laps to comply with the message that you have. I thought for sure on the second lap, Quattro was going to duck in and take it right away immediately and then have a much greater chance of a tighter pack to get back together. And he did not. And then both Zarco and himself were pulling away uh, from everyone. And then he decided to take it at the very last moment. I don't know. I'm not, I'm sure they talked about it amongst themselves at Yamaha for quite some time to decide what they were going to do. It's not what I would have done, but then again, I'm the, I am the pundit who has, club experience and their professional motor motorcycling team with all kinds of computer wizardry. That's going to tell you the fastest scenario of losing 1.6 seconds over the, what do we run 20 laps at Silverstone mm. either way. Uh, but Zarco goes down four laps later. Whoops. <laughs> Had your chance to win a race and you just tucked it a little much. I mean, you, on one hand you feel sorry. And on the other hand, you just think, mm. you know, it is time just, going on a bit too long now should somebody else be getting the chance on that bike i mean as great a rider as Zarko is and he's a great rider and he's a brilliant moto 2 rider in particular and a pretty pretty handy 125 rider for that matter as well but when you've got people like augusto fernandez unable to come up next year and you know works ducati you, you do have to ask the question don't you mm -hmm. really Somebody's going to become the odd man out of this equation. It's yeah. just going to happen. Yeah, and I like Zarko a lot. I think, again, he's a very intelligent guy, very articulate, good to listen to, bit bit sort of quirky and twitchy in the way he, you know, he behaves and stuff. But, you know, they're all individuals and that's fine. But he just can't make it happen in MotoGP. And after this amount of time, I think he may it's never. time to start saying, well, will he, will he ever do it? Yeah. Zarko would be a great candidate for World Superbike. Yeah, he, he would be stunningly good, I think, in World Superbike. Yeah, he really would. 
there it is. Zark at a World Superbike right here first. We got that. All right. <laughs> it's it's forever now. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of great starts, Quattro had a great start, right? Mm-hmm. So did some guy named Alex Rins. Because Rins started 11th, and by four laps in, he was threatening the top three. I mean, we know Rins is a bit of a Silverstone specialist, but yeah. wow, was he flying on that Suzuki. I mean, he was banging on with it. Rins was pulling away from, from the group because he had hopped out to the front because he had gotten past Miller and Ben Yaya, who had moved himself into second. He, Rins was kind of pulling away. At halfway race, Rins was still leading the thing. I mean, I thought you probably were going crazy at that point, right? You're going get to a, get a Rins win. Yeah, I, I mean, I had my Rins 42 T-shirt on. You know, I had all the all the gear uh, and the idea, uh, clearly, because he didn't win the race. But <laughs> I think um, this all leads on to something I was going to mention, which was that Friday was pretty warm. Saturday was quite a bit warmer. And Sunday was actually quite hot. And I think a number of riders and teams and definitely Rins made a bad call on the tyre. And I think he just went too hard too early and he just ran out of tyre by two thirds of the race and he just disappeared backwards after that point. Uh, he, I don't know if you saw any sort of footage of him sort of post-race. He was not a happy looking guy because I think he knew that he'd made a mistake. Him and the team had made a mistake with the tyre allocation and he probably was beating himself up a bit for going just too hard too early in the race. Should I, if it, I think if he'd just been a little bit more settled back in sixth or seventh in that first half, he, I mean, you can never say he could have won the race or he would have won the race, but I think he would have been a strong contender, but he just went backwards after half distance, unfortunately. Yep. Miller went back by, so did Ben Yaya, as you stated, Mirin started going backwards. Mir Mir went down with six to go. Bastianini then arrived on the scene with four to go. That's normal. Stegosaurus himself coming. We talked about his wing being off. (laughs) The beast. The beast, literally. Now, literally the beast. uh, But he also showed up with Oliveira. So Oliveira on the KTM, you know, because again, I didn't say this, but the KTMs weren't in Q2. They had gotten into, sorry, that's backwards. The KTMs were not in Q1. Q1. They were in Q2. Yeah. So Oliveira shows up for the party too. And then Vinales kind of comes into the whole shows up on the scene. Uh, he winds up getting past Miller with like three to go. And the race finishes off with Ben Yaya winning it. Vinales with a great ride with Miller. They kind of the last couple of laps, they kind of battled it out. And that was a good, it was a good race there. It isn't Moto 2 and it isn't Moto 3, but it's a good race. Uh, so Miller gets a podium. Uh, he kept Bastianini at bay. Uh, then Martin. Then Oliveira, Rins, Quattraro, Aspargaro, Bezecchi, Binder, uh, Marini, Nakagami, Aspargaro, and Morbidelli all gaining a championship point. So with that, let's look at the championship very quickly. No, no, just, no doubt Quattraro is still leading on 180 points. However, Aleish is now 22 behind because he has 158 points because Aleish was ninth. He's the best he could do fighting through the pain on that one. He's got two weeks to uh, Austria. So hopefully the swelling will go down. He'll be able to get back on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Yaya made a great big jump to move up because he was uh, there in third now with those 25 points. Again, Ben Yaya, he kind of comes good at the end of the season. We saw that sort of last year and we yeah. might be in another thing of much like 
uh, Fagia in Moto3. We might see Benyaya do the same thing here in MotoGP. Mm-hmm. I, if this had been a couple of years ago and Benyaya would do this, I guarantee you Quattrararo would fold. I don't think that boy can fold now. I think that boy is way tougher mentally than all of us think. I think the problem Quattrararo might face now, as you just alluded to with the Foggia references, I think we're heading into some Ducati tracks now. And, you know, it's not going to be lost on Quattraro that in the last two races, he, Quattraro, that is, has scored eight points and Bagnaia has scored 50. That is true. And you know, that's going to weigh on his mind a bit. I don't think he's going to fall over and fold mentally uh, any more than you do, Jim. Absolutely, definitely not. But I think he is going to start to see Bagnaia nibbling those points down just by dint of the fact that we are heading into less Yamaha territory uh, than the Ducati territory. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think he's going to have a... I, I think, yeah, as you said, it's going to be like last year with Banyard just chipping away yep, in the second I half agree. of the season. And that's going to be very exciting for us to watch. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch because Quattro needs to mentally understand that third or fourth or fifth is the best I can do at Austria. That's fine. I need points. And Damage the, limitation. Yeah. Limit the number of points. Hope that either Aprilia or another Ducati will take points from Benyaya and just be in the sniff of the podium and things will be fine. Going back to sort of the mental state that Quattro is now, I think because they asked who they want, who they would like to ride against or who they felt like to come to without a doubt, Quattro went right to Marquez. That boy wants a piece of Marquez because I think he knows Marquez is the man, right? Mm. He's the, he's the benchmark that everybody is going to be judged against. And Quattro is now mentally tough enough to say, I want that. I want to beat him and I want to beat him when he is winning races. So I, that's going to be interesting. Well, where were we? All points of uh, Bastianini in fourth, then Zarco, Miller, Brad Bender, Renz, Vanyalas, and Oliveira in the top 10. And that is the racing from Silverstone. Yeah, I mean, just a couple of things. I mean, I'm going to preface this by kind of making a slight apology towards Gary Shavit, uh, one of our great supporters and uh, often contributors in terms of emails. But Maverick is back, isn't he? I mean, almost almost 12 months <laughs> uh, one rate one race does not make maverick vinales back he well, also i'm just i'm saying he's he has always gone well at silverstone yes so i'm not poo-pooing what you're saying i'm like let's just see what happens when we get to austria yeah no fair enough but he had a strong race in assen to finish on the podium as well at the previous race I think he's just starting to find the sweet spot with the Aprilia. Now, uh, yeah, I mean, a couple of races don't make a championship. But he's looking like he could start to win a race or two on that bike now. And, you know, I, I for one hope that he does, just because he would join the rarefied club of people that have won on three different bikes or different manufacturers. And that would be quite an accolade for him, whether you like him or not. And he is a very polarising figure. I mean, there's no two ways about that. But I... I was just trying to think the other ones you've done done three done one oh, on yeah. three different bikes i was just i just started thinking i was trying to think of who because i'm like you can't there won't be come up many, there? There no i can't many. come up. i can think of people doing it in two bikes i mean rossi lawson those jumped in my head real quick um because I'm, I'm just trying to come up with someone anyone who who has won world championships on three different makes of bike mm. stoner's done it on two 
Yeah. yeah. So like those guys. Lots of people. Lots of people have done it on tour. Yeah. I mean, Rossi, Lawson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, a long list. Um, yeah, but but we're but talking three. about winning, we're just talking about winning races on three different bikes, right? Yeah. So well, Lawson, let's, let's see if somebody can write in and tell us. I got I mean, one. Go on. Lawson. He won on a Honda. He won on a Yamaha. He won on a Kajiva. Okay. There you go. Yeah, Kajiva. Okay. So there's that one. Um. I can't come up with anybody else. If anybody else knows, write me. Motopod, motopodcast.com. Let us know. We'd be delighted to hear who else has done that because, I mean, Maverick hasn't done it yet and he might not ever, might not ever do it, but he's looking as if he's starting to find his position in that team. And again, I mentioned a few episodes back, Jim, if Maverick was going to start getting to grips with that bike, was it going to start to create one or two issues within that team? I mean, it's just interesting the dynamic of how things will start to go I mean, he's contracted for the next two years now uh, and we can start to understand perhaps why Aprilia was seeing stuff in the data perhaps that made them give him that signing when we thought he shouldn't get it on the strength of you know up until what two or three races ago where he couldn't qualify it was on terrible starts and now things seem to be turning around I suspect a big portion of that is between the ears with Maverick because we know he has to be in an environment that is a bit molly coddling and a little bit you know diva accepting and that is what he is but i mean they won't care if he's out podiuming week in week out that's what they're paying him for precisely hey if and this guy's gonna win races he's taking points off ben yaya exactly which yeah may help Aleish. and he has said that he will do what he can to help Aleish this year in the championship because yep. clearly maverick is a long way back but i again for people that listen to the simon crafer interview he touched on this and it's definitely worth repeating that you know a huge amount of uh, credit must go to Massimo Rivola who's the team manager there who came in if you remember he kind of took over the team management and the commercial management of the team from uh, Romano Albasaro who's the technical chief there but for a long time since Aprilia came back into the championship uh, he was kind of in charge of everything and he was quite clearly not a particularly good people person so he presided over the horror show that was you know the Sam Lowe's year the season or two season I think that Scott Redding was there where they were effectively were just concentrating on Aspargro and the rider on the other side of the team was just getting nothing at all so Rivola has come in and really transformed that team so I think he deserves a great deal of credit for that I other, can't disagree with you the other little takeaway for me not exactly unseen but I think very significant was Bastianini overtaking Martin on the last lap. Yes. Given that yes. those two are competing for the Ducati work seat next year. Yeah. That was That's... a significant victory for Bastianini, I think, psychologically. And he's going to the track next time at Red Bull Ring where he won his first race last year. I think we should wrap the show. I think we've got everything out from Silverstone there. So everybody... I will be at Pittsburgh uh, for Moto America. Anybody who wants to, anybody just one last time, one last shout out to that. And with that, I want everyone to ride safe. See you next time.